Well, welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss level two of Ernest Klein's 2011 sci fi novel, Ready Player One. Now let's log back into the Oasis and hop aboard our flying, ghost busting DeLorean. Jade Key Unlocked. only been a day but we're uh, recording episode two now for uh ready player one yep jacked right back into the oasis for sure man we uh so our original plan was to do it in two episodes but part one and part two just deserve their own their own thing so we're going to release this as kind of a bonus episode so thank you for downloading it and thank you for for uh for joining us yeah, it would have been too much to try to get it all in one and two episodes. Yeah, we have a, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about in this section. Um, I think we're probably just going to get right into spoiler talk, unless you have some general thoughts you want to you wanna go over. But for the most part, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be one for the book readers or for the people who are maybe have seen the movie and have come back to revisit. Um, or if you just really don't care about spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Those are the people who, who should enjoy this. <laughs> Yeah, the section, it's cool because he he does it in three levels. So we were like, why don't we do three episodes? And and I think mm-hmm. it's smart because this this is feels like a, a distinct difference and change than the first part. Yeah, you're right. It's it's this. Yeah, there's a whole shift in the way this this story feels in the second part here. It'll be interesting to see what you think of the third part. I know it's coming because I've read it before, but uh, James doesn't. So you've only read part two, right? You know nothing about part or level three. Right. I, I know nothing about level three. Cool. All right. Well, if you're ready, I think let's just get right into it. We left off on chapter 17, uh, which is the start of level two. And uh, this section begins with a chat conversation uh, between uh, Artemis and Parsifal. I mean, he's just trying to he's trying to this is like him flirting with her, right? This is him trying to start this online relationship. And they, they have a bit of an argument, but it's maybe kind of flirty. They're going back and forth. At one point, he says he's been cyber stalking her. Which you can maybe laugh that off, but it's a little creepy. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's mostly pretty. It's and said in the last episode, it's pretty. I think it's a comes from a good place. Um, he's kind of this awkward geek, so it makes sense that this is how he'd approach a woman. Um, you know, whether or not you're sick of hearing about this sort of thing, you know, that your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. So basically, like Wade is is emailing Artemis. Well, okay. So Percival slash Wade is emailing Artemis. Well, it's like a tech. It's almost like an AIM chat. I I thought of like you know like AOL days exactly. And I thought that was cool because it was like it would it would say like Percival, and then it would say what he said, and it'd be Mm -hmm. like it'd be like Artemis, and it would say so. It was just a cool like structural difference in the writing. Yeah. And um, something else we should mention is that Artemis. I'm glad you um, thought it was cool because some people probably got would be annoyed by it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I think it just makes sense for the story because it's like, yeah, we're getting it's like more immersive because we're getting it from like what that's what they were saying. So uh, Artemis is not reciprocating a lot of the stuff that he is saying, like he's telling her that like he wants to do have like a relationship with her. And like she she's kind of saying no a lot. You know, he's chasing after her and she she doesn't really want much to do with it. But there is something there. They, they definitely she still emails every day and she's still like kind of there's something. Yeah, well, it starts to build. Um, she says, like, you know, don't email me. I think we should focus on this on this contest. And then he starts sending her emails. Um, and then she responds to them. And then, like, it starts becoming more frequent. And then they start hanging out. So it's kind of that, like, he's wearing her down, <laughs> which is another, like, yeah, <laughs> kind of uh, yucky trope. But I think the, the, the reason that it works here is that we do get a strong sense that she is attracted to him and does have a connection with him. It's only that she really wants to focus on the contest. So that's maybe her resistance more than anything else. Yeah. And there's a lot of also something else we should mention is there's a lot of talk of like Artemis saying like, you don't actually know what I look like. And I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to assume that you're like one of these mythical guys that doesn't care about looks and only cares about Mm -hmm. what, what I actually like who I actually am. And I guess that's something interesting to bring up about this is just the idea that like, 
every like i feel like in this in this game a lot of people are gonna choose things choose their avatar to look in a way that they see as like you know beautiful or however they Mm -hmm. want to look cooler i don't i know that you've you've finished the story and this is just a theory of mine i'm assuming that they're going to meet on the outside um and i'm wondering if all of this of all of her if all of her oh, I don't look like you think I do and I don't think you would actually like me if you saw me in person. I feel like it's just insecurity more. I feel like in this within the story, Wade, when he does meet her outside, will be like completely blown away. And mm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think, what Wade is hoping for. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, we don't know. Uh, and in fact, she has repeatedly said, you know what I mean? Like, I don't look anything like my avatar and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, and that kind of goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, like the inherent, you know, uh, risk, or if you want to call it that, of, of online dating, where you're just trusting that people are, are that look like their pictures online or whatever that is. Um, but yeah, it's all kind of shallow and, and image-based too, so I don't know. He also, um, he does say at one point, and then we'll get there, but he does say at one point that he is in love with her mind which is like what you what you would want to hear in this situation I think and and that he doesn't care what she's going to look like. So right. Yeah. Is this uh in this chapter we also kind of get like something about how is this all text cuz I thought there was something in here about how Wade There's some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We um it it um uh, yeah, I think we get some different stuff. Like I Wade talks about like he talks about how like since he has the time and money now he all he does is play the game and he stays in his apartment and just like grinds out all the way to level 99 yeah we should talk about his new his new apartment he um he orders everything online and he sets up he sets up this like i don't know perfect gaming cube um and yeah he gets delivery of all this different stuff he has like a security door you know and then he has um everything scanned before it enters and then he he has this like high-end haptic suit that he's able to afford from all of his endorsement deals and it's like a seat that and and thing that'll like rotate and and simulate like shaking and stuff so that when you're flying spaceships and stuff it it gives you that feel and then also he has a full body haptic suit now instead of just the gloves um he actually shaves all of his hair so that (laughs) he can like better feel so he has like no eyebrows and stuff yeah that was pretty funny yeah and then he also talks about like I think it's here it, he talks about how like um he has like this the like the fastest strongest rig that he could buy and everything's yeah. he's pouring all his money into like things that he needs to survive and then basically his oasis gear. Yeah. Um he does have you know a moment where he kind of says like I've completely withdrawn from the world and like this is you know it, it does occur to him sometimes that you know he's living wholly in this illusion and this fantasy. Um, and he's completely shut off as much as he possibly can the outside world. So back to the contest, he's trying to figure out this this thing about the Jade Key and to find the Jade Key. Um, and he makes a connection to Captain Crunch. Um, and, he, and he thinks about, because the, the little phrase mentioned a whistle. And he thinks about the whistle being this being this thing that was in a Captain Crunch box that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he claims that there was a whistle in a box of Captain Crunch that came out in the '80s that you could blow into a phone and be able to like make free long distance calls because it would like fool the system or something. Yeah, I think there's some sort of beeping or frequency that would like trigger long distance call, and so it like perfectly like recreated that sound. That's pretty cool. I mean, I- I'm assuming that has to be true because otherwise it's way too outlandish to you yeah. for you to just make up. And that's pretty. That's a pretty cool. Like I don't know little nugget that that i'm sure only worked for like six months of one year in the 80s but (laughs) yeah did you have the phrase in front of you just the jade key clue in front of you yeah i do uh so so here's the phrase it says the captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are all collected once the trophies are all collected (laughs) i put a weird pause in there but yeah um so yeah, the captain, like, he makes the connection between the captain and Captain Crunch and this whistle. Um, and it feels important, but he doesn't really know what to do with it because he doesn't know what this house long neglected is. Yeah. And something else that's interesting that we learn in, in chapter 17 and kind of chapter 18 is that it's been like six months since they since he found the the 
copper key. So it's now, it's it's been a long time. So plenty of people have gotten the copper key at this point, and he's still in the lead, and Artemis is still right behind him with H and Daito and Shoto as well. But yeah. it's like getting to the point where like somebody's going to find the Jade key soon. And like, so... Yeah, he also says that him and, and um, Artemis are kind of hanging out and it feels like that's more important than the hunt sometimes to him and so he maybe feels a little bit like he he might have his eyes off the prize kind of thing um and that he's I, it sounds like he's worried that that's gonna come back to bite him i i also wanted to to ask you if if, if am i wondering if this is just me but so, something about the game mechanics of this felt a little bit off he he was level 10 at the end of the adventure at the end of the tomb and then he works his way to level 99 over these six months, which is the max level in the game. Mm-hmm. And I was, and to me, that seems a little bit un, unrealistic. I don't know. It's like, I don't know how he's able to level up so fast. He talks about how he has a bunch of money to spend on the game now, though. So he's able to spend money to like help him get gear and then get further along in the and go do quests that he couldn't do before and magical stuff and yeah. So he talks about how like that's an advantage for him, but the the level grind thing is also like such something that's so familiar to like people who play certain types of video games. Like just knowing that he was going off and do, like questing and doing like all this other stuff before he went to go do the actual story mission, which is like the the Jade Key, is pretty cool. And he's like crazy over leveled now, and he fe- he says he feels like invincible. Yeah, I mean, I get all that. I th- I think the reason I bring it up is Artemis being level 52 or whatever when he met met her in the tombs and she's this like famous blogger who's been going around hunting the egg you know what i mean hunting the egg it seems like how is she only 52 you know what i mean like he didn't she didn't have any of his limitations i don't know it i I guess the money is the thing like you must be it must be a pay for play kind of thing like you can upgrade your stuff so much with your money that it can make a huge difference yeah, and he's like the biggest celebrity in the game, so maybe like be his celebrity helped him along. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably all it is. But anyway, I was just like, it was a weird jump to me to be able to shoot up levels that fast. But also, we um we do get. I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but later we hear about him taking on this tech job um, that he supposedly works at forty hours a week. Um, so that seemed a little bit like, how do you have time to grind out the level ninety nine if you're also doing that? I don't know. So I didn't get, understand why he picked up this this tech job as well. Yeah, it, for fe- it feels a bit flimsy to me because he, he says that he needs like extra money. But I'm just like, if you have all these endorsement deals and we've been told that the currency in the game is worth more than the currency in real life, I just don't buy that he would need the, you know, small amount of money you're going to get from doing a tech job. Yeah. Like a tech support job. Yeah, it's weird. It may be that... Um, Ernie Klein wanted to include it as, uh, you know, maybe an homage to the time he spent working that kind of job. We read that in his bio. That was something that he did. Yeah, that would um, make sense. And I thought that was cool when you told me that that he had also had that job. I was like, okay. Oh, so this is something interesting where I can ask you this question. Do you think that he relates more closely to Wade or Percival or to Halliday? Because I feel like he's like both of these characters he's putting a lot of the stuff into. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think he's both. Um, I think it's different parts of his... You know what I mean? Maybe he feels like young him was more like Wade and maybe old him is more like Halliday. I don't know. That'd be a good question for him. Um, if we ever got a chance to, to to talk to him or something, that'd be a great question. So we should remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So so back in the story, um, this is when they get an invitation from Ogden Morrow to his birthday party, which we learn is a very exclusive event that is a yearly event where um, he puts on this like dance party. And it's going to be on this planet called Neo-Noir, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and it's like a PvP zone, so it's kind of dangerous for them to go. But Wade's like, I can't, we can't say no. And he, oh, also the, all of the High Five, I think, got the invitation. Artemis definitely did. And it seems like they want to go to the dance together because, you know, they have this, like, budding romance. So they kind of go on a date to this dance. And this is when we first learned about his DeLorean that he has had made um which uh you know he's put the night rider thing on the front like the kit thing in the grill that like is red he's installed the ai he said he's put ghostbusters logos on the doors it can fly and it can like pass through walls and stuff um it's this is just like you know 
the dream car of, of geekdom. I feel like if this is possible, like this is what everybody would do. They would just take all of their favorite things and merge it into one. Yeah. Well, we have more proof of that later with some of these other high five who have all this money, I guess they can spend on whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a cool thing. And he, so he, he takes, you know, he takes that to the dance where he's going to meet Artemis. It also, so that it doesn't get stolen in this PVP zone. He like shrinks it when he gets there and puts it in his pocket. Yeah, because he's now he's now dual class. He's a warrior mage now, so he has some magic he can do. Which, like, if you could fucking do magic in this game, absolutely. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I I would just be a straight up mage, probably. I don't know about you. I don't um, even know, man. I would I would want to be something. I would want to be like like a warrior mage for sure. I'm definitely in that yeah. in that camp. I feel like I yeah, you know, like Halliday is described as just having this like wizard that he played, and Ogden Morrow is kind of a wizard too. Like I yeah. feel like I'd totally be in that in those, that vein. Those wizards are definitely sweet. Yeah, I mean, I play a wizard in our D and D campaign <laughs> that we haven't played in ages, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he shrinks it down, puts it in his pocket. Um, then they go in, and this. So yeah, I mean, I want your take on this whole dance thing. I mean, they go in, and it's zero gravity dance floor. But if you walk along the outside, you're still like connected, and you can walk like you're of normal gravity. It's only if you jump into the air do you fly out to the dance floor. Um, this is just really cool. Like physics don't matter because you're in a simulation anyway, and you can just make it whatever you want. Kind of reminded me of the uh, the zero gravity fight from from Alter Carbon that they put Uh-oh, into the show. It's better than that. <laughs> show. No, no, no. I think it's better than that. I'm just saying, like, it's just the no gravity in a center where everybody else on the outside is is in normal gravity. Yeah. Well. Yeah, let's not get into Alter Carbon too much. That <laughs> particular scene, one of my least favorite from that show, um, which otherwise I, I did like. R two D two is that is uh, the DJ when they first come in, and he's doing like some sort of eighties remix of I think Rebel Yell or something, and it's like got a got like a dance beat to it, and it's got like uh, droid sounds going off. Um, it's just I mean it's just cool, right? Yeah, I, if this happens in the movie, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna freak out. <laughs> if R two D two, DJ R two D two, yeah. Um, so eventually R2-D2 leaves and there's a whole bit where um, Ogden Morrow arrives and like kind of everything changes and a bunch of screens come on and he's this like big wizard in the center and he's in this like sphere within a sphere and he's got all these tables around him. He's like flying around in there like twist, you know what I mean? Like what, scratching on <laughs> records or whatever. However the kids do it these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, he starts playing his own music. And then so all this time, Artemis and uh, Parzival are dancing. And he uploads this, um, <laughs> you know, this like root subroutine that makes his character dance. And it's called like Travolta something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, they're both just like pulling sick dance moves, I guess, on the dance floor. But they're like flying and it's zero G. Yeah. Oh, also Artemis orders uh, Glenn Morangi, which um, is a reference to a movie, but I may- just makes me happy because it's another Scotch reference, which apparently we've been getting a lot of these in our books. We've been covering. What, what movie is that reference from? It's uh, she says it was um, Connor McCloud's favorite drink in Highlander. Oh, that's what, gotcha. uh, or that's what Wade says. Like because it's like silly for her to order a drink in the game anyway. I guess. Yeah. Although there is something where like you can if you order something in the game. There, it can like be sent to you in the real world so that you can enjoy it. So maybe there's maybe that happens. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. They're they're having this dance, and he's. I mean, it's it's a it's a genuinely like cool. I don't know, high school dance, but like taken to eleven moment. And he's so caught up in it that he tells her he loves her, and it, it sh- they have this like argument where she's like, "You don't love me. You love the like, the idea of me." <laughs> you know, right? Like right. basically. Um, and you know, he gets angry cause he's like, yes, I do. And she's like, no, you don't, you don't know anything about me. And right as they're having this kind of spat about it, um, that didn't go the way he planned. <laughs> um, the Sixers arrive and start like blast, they blast a hole into this sphere and like come inside. And then one of the coolest moments from the whole book, I feel like is when Ogden Morrow just is like pissed that he's like, how dare you? And he like comes out of the yeah. sphere and he shoots out red lightning from his hands and it just like vaporizes all the Sixers. Yeah. Like shoots, awesome. it like shoots around <laughs> and like, it like dodges everybody at the dance and it just only kills the Sixers. And he's like, um, Percival said that it was like the, the largest display by any avatar he'd ever seen. 
like yeah. display of power. You get a sense that Ogden Morrow must have like a Uber, like you know, it's like in World of Warcraft where there's like everybody can be level ninety nine, but like the Uber boss can be like one ten or something. Right. Like that's what I thought of Morrow. Like he's like level one ten in a in a world where only people can only be level ninety nine. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, after the attack, basically he vaporizes everybody, and then Artemis like is like leaving. She's like flying out of the hole created in the ceiling, and like looks back at Percival, and they kind of have like the breakup, this breakup moment. Yeah, and I think it's partly that she just feels like she let her defenses down and put herself in a situation where she could have got her avatar killed, just because she wanted to go do this thing with with Wade, and that maybe it wasn't a smart move, and and she wants to like. Seems like she wants to recommit, but also she's trying to pump the brakes on him, maybe taking things a little too fast. Right. Like she's, I mean, and we see this in the next chapter, basically like she's like on, like she's on the hunt and he keeps like trying to reply. He keeps trying to send her emails and stuff. And she like is like pretty much done with him and he's really torn up about it. Yeah. And like on one hand, I feel bad for him, but on the other hand, I don't know. He kind of acted like an idiot. So (laughs) I don't know. Like it's, um. I don't know. Like I said, like I feel a lot of sympathy for the guy because I feel like I kind of was like this when I was young. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's not going to be the experience for everyone. And in fact, there are plenty of situations where I'm sure still going on. And definitely when I was at, when I was that age where people would try and break up and like one person wouldn't let it go. And that's not, you know what I mean? Like, that's not cool. Right. And so him, like, kind of continuing to, her, like, send her messages and, like, show up at her, pl- like, her planet that she has and, like, stand there with a with a jukebox and all this stuff. Like, yeah. he's doing all this stuff. And I don't know. I can definitely see the idea of people who look at this and go, like, this isn't cute. This is, like, stalkery. Yeah. But anyway, he um, he's kind of forced to get back into the hunt because he doesn't have anything else to do. Oh, we've also learned that he's had a falling out with H where they had an argument where he basically said like, you wouldn't have even found it if it wasn't for me. Um, and then, so now they don't, they aren't talking either um, because he'd been spending more time with Artemis instead of H and all this other stuff. And then we kind of also get this, this uh, Wade puts in, he like implements like a workout routine into his daily life that like he yeah. he makes it so that like he can't log into the oasis unless he does his exercises and the the oasis like tracks how how many calories he burns so that he can start to just be healthier because he's like he's, he's like Man. i'm gonna die if i don't get healthier as someone who uh carries a little extra weight this is a fucking fantastic idea like i want this program like it's like i don't know it's so good like it tracks not only that it like instantly scans all the food he eats and determines like its caloric amount and then like make sure that he is doing enough exercise every day to offset that it just fully tracks everything and yet yeah, forces him to do these exercises it forces him to eat right and like i know that sounds silly but like i don't know i, I often joke with my wife about our dogs who um we, we control their diet so strictly and so they're in good shape because yeah. we only let them we only feed them the exact amount they need and i'm like i need somebody who could step in and do that for me <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i would love a situation where i was like i mean just the idea that you can't do the things that you really want to until you do this stuff and that's something about something about that i thought was really cool about it was that he talked about how it was locked into your oasis account for two months so you could not cancel it for two months and then after those two months were over it did become a routine and he wanted to keep it there so it's like it's just like yeah. you know that idea that everybody always says like once you get into a routine it, it's much easier and like kind of motivational sure. I'm like shit maybe i should fucking go out yeah. go to the gym yeah i mean if if i was better about you know self-discipline you know you can implement these things to yourself don't allow yourself to do this and that until you've worked out or whatever but you know what i mean like i i, I see through that illusion immediately and go there's no one making me do this yeah exactly <laughs> um whereas this would be like you know like literally can't do it because this program yeah um i don't know i would sign up for it i feel like it'd be good for me yeah what, but, tell um, oasis tell uh uh what was the, the company's name the, so the uh, gregarious gregarious games systems him, or something tell them to get that going gregarious so games. that we can all invest right now yeah for sure dude um so we also learned that he has um in his like fancy place i just wanted to bring this up he has this like smell tower that puts <laughs> out smells yeah so it's even more immersive, you know what I mean? But it's funny, I, I got a laugh out of the idea that coders are putting in terrible smells into like otherwise normal situations yeah. just to like stick it to the people who can afford to have a smell tower. Yeah. Which I think is pretty funny. Really funny. <laughs> so he like doesn't use it, he leaves it off. <laughs> yeah. And this whole time he's doing all this stuff to try to get over this breakup and he starts trying to like go, he talks about how he goes on like random missions to collect 
different artifacts and things that he needs and then it leads into a really cool one of my favorite parts of this of this level two with uh him going on a mission with daito and shoto the the other oh, yeah, two yeah. of the five in the high five okay uh before before we get to that i wanted to mention did you catch the part where he is now old enough to vote and oh yeah he votes on the oasis council elections yes and he doesn't care about the u.s elections no, he's like, it doesn't matter. They're all puppets anyway, but I am going to vote on the elect. And so there's an elect, there's an Oasis council and he votes to reelect Corey Doctorow, which I'm, I wasn't sure who that was. I had to look him up. Apparently he's like a blogger and stuff. Um, but, and Will Wheaton, which was just funny to hear Will Wheaton reading the audio book. Read about Will Wheaton. <laughs> talking about And he this. said, he calls himself like, he calls himself like uh, an old geezer or something because he knows yeah. what he's doing. He like fights for the rights of people. Yeah. That's pretty hilarious. That's awesome. uh, that, that was a fun moment. Oh yeah. Also, we should talk about this. Um, they ta- they there's this whole thing called like a POV channel that gets started where everybody has their own personalized television channels. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like a really cool idea. But once again, you run into the problem of IPs. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but man, like this is a cool idea. It's like everybody. So like you can you can either stream yourself like a Twitch or something, which like we already have that Periscope, you know, apps like that. Or you can just put on programming. You can like play movies. You can play music videos. You can just put whatever you want on, and it's like a fully just, customized. It's like a, it's like a collection of all your favorite channel. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's pretty cool, man. Like, what what would you what would you have on your channel? <laughs> oh my god, man! I would have a lot of like classic, awesome movies. Um, some stuff that I grew up with. Certain games that I want people to yeah. check out that they haven't played. Um music for sure i would definitely put a lot of cool music in there i'm trying to think of specifics i would have like i would have different days i feel like like one day would be like my movies day and i would just (laughs) try to get like unknown movies out there or lesser known movies and then Mm -hmm. do a day for like like you know like classic amazing movies and i don't know it would be it would be a lot of movies i'll say that for sure (laughs) just a lot of movies yeah man uh it just seems like a cool idea and it's like you know, I'm all about artists getting paid for their work. So I just feel like as long as you can find a way to make sure that if I put on, you know, whatever movie it is, if I put on um, Eternal, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, if yeah. I throw that on there, that, like I want, I want the people who made that movie to get something. You know what I mean? Right. So we we learned that Artemis has her own lineup where she has a clothing clothing label for avatars that are like shaped like her hers because I guess it's become really popular now. And, you know, she's monetized her, her channel. And we hear about different channels like uh, H's channel. And we hear about Shai- Shoto and Dai- Daito's channel that play a lot of old samurai movies and all this stuff. I just think it's pretty cool. I'm know? on board with Daito and Shoto's plan. I would definitely have some old samurai movies playing. <laughs> so this is what you were talking about before. He reaches out to them and they team up on a quest. And they complete this quest together. Um, so apparently you can you can do these like quests on distant worlds and there's these things called artifacts, which we learn about are like super powerful items in the world. And it seems like they're unique. So only one person can have a copy of this artifact, right? Right. Um, they are transferable, but like you, there's not multiple versions of them out there. It didn't seem to me, or at yeah. least the really powerful ones. Um, because they sell, like you sell on like eBay or whatever for like tons of money, right? Um, which we learn about later. But so in this particular example, they complete this quest and it's like this Ultraman contest and um, it takes them about a week. And then at the end, they get this thing called the beta capsule and Wade gives it to them and he tells them that, you know, samurai stuff's your deal. Like you should totally have this or whatever. And then, so he kind of makes this like bond with them over that where he chooses to let them have this, this really powerful artifact. Right, because at first they were like, yeah, they were like skeptical and they were like, we sh- we can't really split it. And they like didn't want him to get it. They were like, you can't have it, Wade. And then he well, was and like, they were like, we should sell it and split the proceeds. Exactly. But, but he was like, no, we, you know, one of us needs to have this fucking this thing because it's too cool. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, like, it seems like the Sixers buy up a lot of these uh, yeah. of these objects. So the, the capsule that they got allows them to turn into Ultraman for like a certain amount of time, like a, which is yeah. so badass. Like so I never watched. Is Ultraman very, something you're familiar with? I never watched any Ultraman, um, okay. but I know like the I significance within like Japanese culture. Like he's like, yeah. it's like he. It's kind of like he fights like Godzilla type things as they come out and yeah. protects the. What's city that one where it's all the like tigers that join together and form something? Like that's what I kept thinking of. Oh yeah, um, Voltron. 
Voltron. Yeah, yeah, I kept thinking of Voltron. I kind of like subbed in Voltron in my in my imagination because I didn't know who Ultraman was, but I figured it was similar. Yeah, it, it definitely. It's like those the classic like old Japanese like TV shows would have and stuff where they'd have like the miniature building so that the people in the suits look massive. Yeah. So uh, we also this is where we learn about his like weird forty hours a week that he's doing in tech support which just seems very odd to me. Um, and then, yeah, and then right at this time, uh, he he finds that he sees the scoreboard update and Artemis has found the Jade Key and passed him. He's no longer in first place. Which is a crazy moment. I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, he's um, been dethroned. Yeah, she passes him. And then, uh, yeah, that was like the end of the chapter. And I was like, holy shit, I got to keep reading this part <laughs> and just like continued on. Yeah, um, it's funny how like caught up you get in the scoreboard and stuff, right? Like, yeah, it's just testament to how engaging this book can be. Yeah, we also learned about some artifacts that have the Sixers have bought, um, including or or just that exist. Some of them have been bought by the Sixers, um, including a bomb that kills everyone in an entire sector of the game. Ridiculous! <laughs> it's this like insane bomb that some guy bought like years ago and has never used. Yeah, um, so including the person who like uses it. That's gonna show up for sure. Um, and then, yeah, there's this thing called the Tablet of Finding, which sold for 2 million credits, which set the recent record, I guess, for, for these sales. And what it does is it will show you an avatar's location by just typing in their name once per day. But there's, like, some limitations. So, like, if you're in a different sector, it'll just tell you what sector you're, they're in. If you're in the sector as that, with them, it'll tell you what planet they're on. And, like, and then, like, you know, better the closer you get. Yeah. So, Wade knows that now that she has found it, they're, that the Sixers are going to use this to locate her. And so now the clock is like on, like because they're going to know where to go, right? In, the, in a matter of days. Yeah, for like six months, he was like, didn't really, was like kind of shuffling his feet. And then he like kicks it into high gear because he's like, holy shit, every, they're about to all get ahead of me, all the Sixers and everybody. Well, and he's like, he yeah, he's thinking about it. And he's like, I, I you know, I got to go. I think this is, so this is when he thinks about an arcade this arcade planet has like a museum that was how like holidays like um some of holiday stuff's there and he wants to go check it out right um he's just like he's just grasping at straws at this point because he's like i gotta do something so he decks himself out in his gear which is like all as a mix between like D gear and like high-tech sci-fi guns and stuff which is really cool um and then he gets in a spacecraft called the vonnegut which vonnegut is one of my favorite authors of all time so that made me happy <laughs> yeah that's cool and it's a Firefly vessel. Yeah, which is, like, super cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and then he talks about, like, the Whedon-verse, which is literally, like, a section of the universe, which is just, like, Whedon stuff, I'm, I'm assuming. So Yeah, and he was flying an X-Wing there or something. So it's just, like, I mean, it's really cool. <laughs> cool to imagine. Um, he, he So, yeah, he arrives at this arcade world, which is pretty crazy because it's, like, when you're on the surface, it looks like the inside of this game called Battlezone. So it's, like, all black with, like, green lines and stuff. Um, but eventually he, you find this like tunnel and you go down into it and then inside it's like a replication of just like thousands of old like quarter arcades that people remembered from their childhood and then like coded into here. So it's just like a museum of old arcades and like a labyrinth underground, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and he goes into that and he goes um, deep down as far as he can get. And he in in this is when he starts thinking about like early haptic chairs about how there's these old like like we played one recently the Star Wars game at at Ground Control, yeah. um, there's these old chairs that that like move around and vibrate and stuff and how it's like his an early haptic thing that he's doing now, and then yeah he gets to the uh, the planet core and in the very planet core which I think is pretty cool there's the original first two video games, so there's a game called Tennis for Two and then another one called Space War. Which I guess were the first two video games ever made. It's pretty cool that those are like at the very bottom, so it's like probably goes yeah. in at like a timeline up. Yeah, and then and then so then he's there, and there's this exhibit with Halliday with his like trophies, and he's thinking like these trophies must be what where they're referring to, but they like he can't find anything. It's nothing, so he's yeah. just wasted time apparently. And he goes to, to leave, and he's like has to, he takes a different way back, and then all of a sudden he finds this pizza place in this labyrinth of tunnels. And he goes inside of it, and he realizes that it's a replication of this place that's referenced in Halliday's journals or whatever. Like, it's something from Halliday's life. And there's these NPCs in there who are just, like, you know, walking around, cleaning it, and doing their normal thing. 
Um, and he's like, how is it possible that like I've never heard of this? He's never heard of it anywhere. I don't. I'd be interested to know your theories about it. I guess I won't. I won't say much because I know more about it than you do. But yeah, like why? Why do you think no one's found this place before? Maybe he's like a chosen one or something. But I, I yeah, I just I didn't really think anything about uh, why he found it. But I thought it was cool that he found the specific machine that he found and like the yeah, thing. Yeah. So happened. so yeah. So there's a Pac-Man machine that's off, and he figures out you have to plug it in, which is kind of what happened to us at Dragon Lair, right? Kind or of, with, yeah. It happened to have happened to us at Ground Control at Ground with Control. Dragon Lair. With yeah. Dragon Lair, yep. Um, so it turns on, and then um, he sees there's this quarter that's like set up on the top for like when you want the next game where you're supposed to put it. Um, but he goes to like grab it and it won't move, which he's like, hmm, that's weird. And then he turns it on and he sees that the high score is from Halliday, and it's 10 points shy of a perfect game of Pac-Man. So the only way to usurp him in the high score list would be to play a perfect game of Pac-Man. Yep. So and that's what he does. That's what he does, exactly, <laughs> yeah. So he plays, which is absolutely insane because, like, like, like my mom was really crazy. good at Pac-Man, but I was never very good at it. Like, I never got too many levels in, but to, I can't even imagine. So you can't lose a life until the very end. Yeah. It's it's bonkers, man. He It takes him hours. It takes him, like, six hours or something to do. Like, it takes him a long time. But he finally, he finally, he finally does it, and then when it happens, the um, the coin falls off of the place where it's at and like into his possession. And he looks at it, and it's just like a, it's just like a simple coin, and it doesn't say it has no like text to like explain what it does, and it's just yeah, in, his, it's, in his inventory now. It's definitely going to be like a super important thing later, like no doubt about it. So what? So what do you? Do you want to make any theories about what it might do? I don't know. He pu- he's going to put the quarter in. And prove himself to be a true holiday super fan and and be like the chosen one. Okay, <laughs> he's gonna put it into a slot somewhere, and it's gonna be it's gonna be, I don't know, it's gonna do something. Um. So as after he finishes, oh, right as he's finishing the game, actually, the scoreboard pops up and shows that H has now completed, has now got the Jade key, and now has passed him on the scoreboard as well. So he's now knocked down the third. And he's just like, oh, shit. And then, like, even though he's done and he has this cool thing, it's like, well, this isn't the Jade Key, so what am I doing here? I need to get I need to get back to the, get back on the hunt, right? Yeah. So as he's getting ready to go, he sees this image file sent to him by H. And this is something we referred to in the first episode, where where these solos feel like they don't like owing people. And they have to, like, even the, even the, even the scales. And so H has sent him this image file of Zork. And he says, like, now we're, you know, payback time, now we're even kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so he's giving him a hint about where to go to get the Jade Key. And without it, he wouldn't be able to get it. And so this is way of, of H repaying the fact that he um, found out, you know what I mean, about about the Tomb of Horrors through Wade. Right. right. And so now he goes, oh, I know where to go. There's this planet that's like a recreation of the text game Zork. Um, but before we get to that, I think we should stop and take a moment to talk to you about Audible. Yeah, absolutely. Audible is an audiobook app or website that you can use to listen to a huge collection of audiobooks. I think there's like 80,000 audiobooks in there. And growing all the time, I'm sure. Yeah, and they've given us an affiliate link, actually. And it's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that, you get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook in their collection. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and recommend uh, some books by Kurt Vonnegut, who is referenced in this book because he is a hilarious... Um, like satirical sci-fi writer. Um, he wrote famous books like Slaughterhouse Five, Breakfast of Champions, many others that I'm not thinking of right now, even a few that I've read. <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure he's all over Audible. Um, you can go out, check him out, see why I like him so much, see why he's referenced in this book. Um, you can do that using our affiliate link to sign up, which is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And then once you get that, you get the audio book. You can listen to it like you listen to any podcast. You know, it's uh, super convenient. So he knows that uh, back to the Zork planet we, we've talked about. He knows that inside the house in Zork, there is a trophy case that you have to fill. And so he makes the connection to the to the, to the rhyme. Have you ever played Zork? No, I never played Zork. This is one that I was like, I went and looked up the image of the of the cover so I could see the abandoned house in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I have played it, uh, but I not much. Um, what I actually did was I read books based off of it called Zork books, which were choose your own adventures fantasy novels. Oh, that's sweet. Um, that's cool. Yeah, so that's my like. I have like a weird outside attachment to it, but 
anyway, um, he, he, he has this ring of teleportation that he earned, <laughs> which we learned from looting the horde of a red dragon that he slayed on planet Gygax, which is just wonderful. <laughs> planet Gygax, you know, Gary Gygax, creator of D&D. So, he, he, you know, there's some planet of D&D where there's like red dragons you can slay and get sweet magic yeah. items. He I just keeps it. referencing his favorite people who made his favorite stuff, I guess. Yeah. Climb. Yeah. So he chooses to teleport straight there because he knows he doesn't have a lot of time. He goes running into a house. Um, it's a physical manifestation of this game that was just text only, you know, um, which is a kind of a cool idea because it would be a lot of interpretation of what it would look like. Um, but inside the refrigerator that is not normally there, he finds a bunch of cereal boxes. And one in the back is Captain Crunch. And so he makes his connection that he's already figured out, you know what I mean? The, the whistle thing. Right. And he pulls it out and tries to blow it, but of course it doesn't work because he's got to fill the trophy case first. So he completes the game. It takes him like 20 minutes or something to complete. So he flies through it because he's played it before, um, and he knows how to do it. So you know it's all going back to his like his knowledge of this almanac and all these games. And then, yeah, he, uh, he blows the whistle, and he gets this um, key that's inside of a wrapper. And he, uh, so he undoes the wrapper, and he's holding this jade key. And, you know... Gets the score, <laughs> um, and the uh, the new the new uh, phrase is continue your quest by taking the test, um, and that's it. It's very simple. Um, so he's like, "Holy crap! I don't know what to make of that." And then he barely escapes from the Sixers as they all arrive. Now they've they found this planet, and he uh, he they're shoots like out and he sends. Yeah, yeah, they're shooting at him. He's barely able to escape. Take some damage to his to his ship actually. Um, he sends thank uh, thank you to H and kind of apologizes for being an asshole, and then we learn that um, this planet becomes what's known as the bottle of Battle of Frobaz because it's this planet called Frobaz that's a PVP zone, and now it's like all the Gunter clans and all of the Sixers are descending on this planet to complete it, and he actually sees that Shoto appears. Uh, um, I think after Sorrento, it's like Sorrento appears first and then Shoto, right? Right. Sorrento being the leader of the IOI. He's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but then no Daito mm-hmm. doesn't, does not appear. And in fact, his name disappears completely off the scoreboard. Meaning he's dead. Meaning his avatar has died. Right. Um, so, so he's like, oh shit, you know, that's crazy. And so, yeah, we, you know, something crazy has happened in this battle right that that wade doesn't know exactly what it is right which is something i was like oh shit i wish i knew what happened yeah so he's now up at in second place and he starts hearing rumors about what happened to daito but he you know he doesn't know because no one apparently saw it so he's he's he can't figure out the silver wrapper and this riddle so he's um when he wakes up the next day he sees that um sorrento has completed the second gate has has somehow completed this next part and is now taken has usurped him and is now in first place. So I mean, talk about the other one being kind of a kick in the teeth. Sorrento being in first place is, is yeah. pretty shitty. <laughs> and then that means that literally means they're one key and one gateway. So they're at the end game basically. Like it's going to be yep. over soon. And he talks about how the media is saying like, oh, it's a, it'll be over soon, and how they're not even talking about the the fact that Percival was like that he was like up that he had like jumped to number one. They were talking about the fact that like. Yeah, it's just crazy that they were all descending on like they were all well, moving to a planet basically. And the um, the hits keep coming because uh, other Sixers start to complete it now. Now that Sorrento has, so they all start doing this. And th- so there's all these people who jump past him. They actually knock all of them out of the top ten completely. Um, and, and it's all Sixers two da- too. It's, crazy. it's all Sixers, yeah. And then two days after that, Sorrento gets the final key, gets the crystal key. So he's like lapped them now, essentially. Yeah. And you're just like, holy shit. And then, yeah, and then Sixers start getting copies of that. So uh, Wade has this thought where he's like, well, when this game's over, I'm going to I'm gonna give all my money to some some kid, and then I'm going to go up to the roof, and I'm going to jump off and kill myself, um, which is a pretty dark. angsty teenager yeah. moment, but, <laughs> Crazy, you know, man. I, I, I get it, I guess, but <laughs> um, maybe in poor taste. Yeah, so um, coming up here... Uh, this is my favorite part of the book so far. From here to yeah. the end of this, this coverage is my favorite part of the book. Just want okay. that to be known. <laughs> so Shoto arrives uh, on his asteroid and says that he has something that Daito left to him. And so, um, so they, you know, they sit down together. And oh, Shoto is driving the Kurosawa, Kurosawa from Cowboy Bebop, which I think is just 
pretty badass, right? <laughs> so awesome, man. I mean, Cowboy Bebop is like one of, not even just anime related, like one of my favorite things, content, like stories ever. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. So um, we learn the de- the backstory behind uh, Daito and Shoto. And Shoto reveals that the Sixers killed him, as in, in the real IRL, actually killed him. Um, we learned that they're not real brothers, that they became like online brothers because they, you know, met at this support group for like people who were addicted to uh, the Oasis and apparently mm-hmm. didn't work because <laughs> they, they then just fooled themselves, you know, threw themselves more into the Oasis. Um, we learned that it's like a big problem in Japan of people who just like withdraw from society and, and go into the Oasis, but also it sounds like it's a problem everywhere in the world. So they were able to um, track the Sixers ships and that's how they got to the planet because um, they knew that they were going to descend on it. So while he, while Shoto was inside completing the quest, Daito stand, stood guard to hold off the enemy. And while he was out there, he uses the capsule to turn into Ultraman and has this, like, badass moment where he's just, like, smashing the fleet and just, like, laughing and just, like, slaughtering everybody, the Sixers and destroying ships. And then Shoto has just enough time to complete the, to complete the thing, get the key, and um but as he's doing it all of a sudden daito's voice is cut off like mid-sentence and his avatar freezes and they descend and they like, kill his avatar and we learn because i think he says something like somebody's here or something and so we learned that the sixers literally found him and broke into his apartment and then like took him up to the roof and threw him off and then framed it as a suicide yeah which, which is fucking crazy I also just thought about how Wade was just kind of like half joking about throwing himself off the rooftop. So I hope he feels really shitty here about this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, Shoto escaped and, and, and he's come to give the capsule to Wade now because you can be used. It can be used once per day. They're reusable and they can transfer. So he's mm-hmm. giving him this artifact that he was able to recover. And he says, you know, you should have this. And and he says he's not interested in completing the egg quest anymore. Now he's just out for vengeance. <laughs> Which is crazy, man. It's very samurai-esque. It's going to be, like, I can't wait to see the end of that story. And then um, Wade gives him a Masamune plus five Vorpal, Vorpal Blade. So Awesome. There you go. <laughs> I can't wait. If this, is, if this happens in the movie, man, I, like, I'm going to freak out. It's going to be so cool. And then, uh, and then you had to love this next part because uh, as he's thinking about it, he realizes that um, he's like saying something to a computer and it makes him think of Blade Runner, uh, which is a past project of ours that we really love doing. And I know it's one of your favorite films of all time. Of all time. And, yeah. And so he, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I could, I should form this thing into a unicorn, which is like the iconic unicorn from the movie. He does that. And, um, he, he decides, oh, this has to be the Void Conf machine. That has to be the test. I mean, and like we talked about this in our other projects and stuff with Blade Runner. You can extensively hear our thoughts about Blade Runner and <laughs> Blade Runner 1982, Blade Runner 2049. And yeah. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is one of our early projects. But yeah. I just love that stuff, man. And the fact that the Voight Comp test was the is the clue for the next like part of this. Yeah. I, I was so- like, oh, my God. So I will say I've been sitting on this because I knew we were going to do Ready Player One one day when the movie came out. And I knew that this was a big part of this part. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait. I can't yeah, I was like, I can't it. tell him about it. I can't spoil it. So awesome. So, um, so yeah, he goes to he knows that there's Tyrell buildings, literally the building from Blade Runner um, that we talked so much about in the episode is just like apparently that's like a preset building. People can just drop down on any planet. So mm-hmm. there's just tons of them everywhere. So he just has to go to like the nearest one. And um, he goes into it, and he kills like fifty le- replicants, um, which he even calls skin jobs at one point, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, if this, I don't, I can't, I will not be able to believe it if this happens. In in the Ready yeah. Player One. Um, so then he gets to the office of Eldon Terrell. He sees the owl, um, and he takes the Void Conf machine test. So when he does that, he inserts the Jade Key, um, and a gate appears, and he goes inside. And inside there is a bowling alley, um, and he is kind of drawn, like almost gravitationally, towards this black tiger game, which he knows is a translation that you originally, like in the original Japanese or whatever, means black dragon. And he ha- always thought it was important because he saw this black dragon on the wall in the animation that was on Halliday's website. Anyway, it's kind of obscure, but we also know that um, we read that um, this is er- um, Ernest Klein's favorite video game of all time. Yeah. 
So he's he goes in into the game and he he's actually sucked into the game and has to play like a 3D version of this arcade game where he is the character. So he's like jumping around and having to do everything and it's like an eight level dungeon and it ends with you defeating this black dragon. So he does that and then all of a sudden he's back in the bowling alley and um, he sees a hundred robots and um, he you can choose the one you want and then like you you get this robot <laughs> is the implication yeah. like mechas and stuff and I liked that one of the ones listed is Iron Giant now it's not the one he chooses mm-hmm. but uh, if you've seen the trailers for the new movie you see Iron Giant prominently so it was cool that it was like that it was yeah. one of the options right I feel like in the movie he'll choose Iron Giant yeah, um, that's what I think too. But it was cool because he referenced like a super, super obscure Spider-Man, like Japanese Spider-Man show that came out where he had like a mech Spider-Man, uh, like mecha, like giant robot. Wow. And that's the one he chose. That That's the one he ended up choosing. Is, it, is like, it? See, I didn't recognize the one he chose. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and then also, obviously they talk about Gundam, which is was a huge yeah. part of my childhood. I love Gundam growing up. And... Uh, I don't know. That was all. I would have taken. I would have taken. Just so it's known, I would have chosen the Gundam for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. Like, was uh, I can't remember. Was uh, Voltron in there? Because I probably would have chosen Voltron if so. Yeah, take Voltron too. Voltron's awesome. <laughs> I don't think he was in there, but I would take him. So at the end um, of the game, he these end credits ro- scroll by, and he sees this image of the Crystal Key, and he exits. And so he knows that that's he's kind of his last thing he's on to now. Um, he climbs aboard his ship and flies off. And the image of the crystal key had this like symbol in the background that he recognized um, as being from the album 2012 by Rush. And this is the first time where like music has become like pretty important. Mm-hmm. No, are you a big Rush guy? Um, I like Rush. I am not someone who like has memorized how their albums all look. Um, right. That kind of thing. Yeah, um, same for me. I, I like them, and I definitely think Neil Peart is, like, one of the best drummers of all time. For sure. But I didn't, when he said, when he started making the reference, he was like, oh, it's a star, and I recognize the reference. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. It's still cool, though. So he goes through this, like, rush planet, and he enters this dome city. He arrives at a temple called Syrinx, and apparently this is all stuff from, like, the lyrics of this song. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets to this robot, I'm sorry, this altar, and um, he tries to put the robot he just got on the altar to see if that'll that'll do something, but it doesn't. Um, so he starts thinking about the lyrics, and he knows there's this waterfall where there's a cave behind it. So he goes into that, and he gets into a chamber where he finds an electric guitar, which, as a guitar player, this is cool. It's a 1974 <laughs> Les Paul that's embedded in a, sto- in a stone, like the sword in the stone, that he has to, like, draw. So cool. Which is just and even, <laughs> pretty bad. I, I didn't play guitar for long growing up and stuff, but everybody knows, like, Gibson Les Paul is, like, the guitar sure. to get. And so he actually has taken lessons, or, like, learned from the Oasis how to play guitar, and um, he he actually plays some um, bit of the song. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he unlocks like a special phrase. And the phrase is, the first was ringed in red metal, the second in green stone. The third is clearest crystal and cannot be unlocked alone. And then he thinks like, I have just, fa- I have just done this because I thought to play the song, but I bet you that the Sixers did not play the song. So they all got this far, but don't know the next clue. So he now thinks he has the clue that they don't have. And I, I think we mentioned it, but like they, the Sixers have now like all gone to this location where they know where the last gate is and they're like trying to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Well, we're about to get to that. Oh, okay, um, sorry. yeah, yeah, that's all cool. So, um, he, he puts the guitar on the altar and it changes into the crystal key and he leaps back into first place. Um, so he is now back on his throne <laughs> by a little bit because he was the first he's one. caught up. Yeah. Because he was the first one of, to get the copper key, right? That's like the right. residual points that he still he has. He got like a bonus, everybody. yeah. Yeah. Yep. He sees this monogram letter A, and he thinks of Anorak, which is this castle, the castle Anorak, which is this impregnable castle that no one has ever entered, and it's where Anor- you know, like Anorak is um, Halliday's avatar. It's where he used to like chill, and um, I don't know, I think of it as like this Fortress of Solitude or like Darth mm-hmm. Vader's like castle or something. Like- On Mustafar, yeah. For sure. So there's all over the news is that the like that the entire army, like the entire Sixer armor army, has gathered on this planet around this castle, and they've put this shield over it, which is impenetrable. And like when he arrives, all of the clans are there, like shooting nukes at it and stuff. 
and it's just not having any effect. And days go by, and people are starting to like give up hope and go, like, eventually they're going to figure it out. Um, but we learned that there's this really powerful artifact they're using to emit this shield. And as long as someone's holding it at all times, it emits this force field that is like literally you can't get through it. And it's a big sphere, so they even try and dig under it, and it doesn't work, and all this stuff. Yeah, and it's like it's also there's like it's like a shield inside of a shield also. So they're using yeah. like an airlock to get troops in and like copies of, of like sixer, you know what I mean? A bunch of sixers in there so they can try to attempt to beat this challenge. Yeah. So the, the only thing that's stopping them is they haven't, they didn't play the song. So they don't know this like last little, last little phrase, this last mm-hmm. little clue. So uh, Wade uh, begins to formulate a plan and he emails the other uh, five, well, four now. And um, he tells them exactly how to find the crystal Kate and the crystal key. So he just drops the information on them. Like, boom, here it is. This is how mm-hmm. you do it. And it seems like he's kind of trying to form an alliance with them. Exactly. Or it's gone from solo to, to group. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, it's like the Sixers are going to fucking win if we don't do something. And he says uh, he can, he basically commits that he's either going to get through this gate or he's going to die trying. And then that's the end of level two. It's just cool to see like him realize like, oh, like these solos are like, yeah, everybody wants to be a solo. But like at the end of the day, they're all going to team up against this like evil. Because the Sixers winning is by far the worst thing. It could be the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think his plan is going to be? So I don't know. That's that's something I was like, he was like, and then he came up with a plan and that was the end of this yeah. chapter. So um, yeah. I, I don't know what his plan is going to be. Obviously, it's going to involve all four of them. And I'm sure that they'll, they'll like, I don't know, they're going to use all their, everything in their resources to try to either sneak in or just do like a massive attack. Yeah. Against this impenetrable shield. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, so they have to sneak in. Somebody has to sneak in. And take down the take. The, they have to pull a like an Endor, the Forest Moon okay. of Endor. So they have to get onto Endor <laughs> and take down the shield while the, mm-hmm. the other troops are ready to go in. Somebody has to in, infiltrate. I'm afraid the shield is quite operational. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see if that happens. Um. <laughs> Palpatine will be in there, right? Palpatine will be. <laughs> All right, man. Um, that's it for this level two. Um, I'm excited to get into this third part with you and, and, and get through all the reveals and then see this movie, which I'm getting more and more oh hyped for. So excited. I actually want to ask you how mm-hmm. closely, just, as, just so we have this in our coverage, how closely are you expecting the film to follow the book? I think in form it's going to be very similar, but I think a lot of the references are going to be new or, or different. There's going to be a few holdovers and a few carryovers, like big ones. Please be Blade Runner. But I, I just suspect it's going to be a lot of new new references and new... Because, you know, we talk about all the time. Things work in a book that don't necessarily work in a movie. Yeah. And um, I think with Spielberg at the helm, he's going to go things that maybe are more visually interesting. So, like, some of the riddles that get solved are going to be different. Um, I don't know. That's going to be the big question. How much is the same? How much is different? Do the changes work? Or are they, you know, are they lesser forms? Um, and yeah. that, that's something that I, I look forward to, to finding out and, and talking about with you, for sure. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I feel like, as usual, my instinct is to be like, oh, I really like how this story is shaping up, so I hope they follow it closely. But, I mean, mm-hmm. as we saw with Annihilation and, the, you know, yeah. we've seen it before, change can be good, too. So I'm excited. All right. So that's going to be it for us for this episode. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at ink to film on all three. Would love to have you come follow us. Um, I tweet pretty frequently on there. Uh, we, we retweet uh, interesting things we find about the projects we cover, and that's a good way to find our episodes as we post them. Definitely. And if you wanted to reach out to us for the podcast, if you wanted to let us give us any feedback that you have about our episodes, our coverage, what you're excited for about Ready Player One, references you like, references you don't like, uh, we'd love from, to hear from you. And we have a, an email you can send that to. It's inktofilm at gmail.com. Yeah, it would be great to hear from some people. Um, I know people have opinions about this. So, uh, so if you're enjoying this episode, if you like our deep dive, you know, into this book um, that's that a lot of people love, um, the the way to show us some love is to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts, and to leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to grow and and get our get our show out there to more listeners. All right, and lastly, we just want to say thank you again to Audible for giving us that affiliate link again. You can get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook if you use our affiliate link, which is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film.
Yeah, and I wanted to thank Crown Publishing, who we've mentioned in the last episode, hooked us up with a bunch of giveaway items for free. Um, We're giving away movie posters right now, and if you want a shot at winning those, just sign up for our newsletter, um, and you will automatically be entered. Uh, So go ahead and do that and get a shot at one of these cool posters. Plenty of time to sign up still. We also want to thank Techno Axes, royalty-free music for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, so that's it for this episode. We will be coming back with a with your level three coverage uh, soon this Thursday um, when you when you listen to this. Um, we hope you join us for that. Until then, I'm Luke and I'm James. Gate two complete. <laughs>